0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation.
1: You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Ariel Taylor to the show. Ariel is a fertility therapist and registered social worker who I found through her page Carried with Love on Instagram. Through her Instagram, Ariel candidly documents her experience as a surrogate. She uses her platform to help Advocate for and educate about infertility and the many ways that individuals and couples can form a family. She is a four time gestational surrogate herself and has gone through many rounds of egg donation. And she's got such an interesting story to share, both the lived experience of going through the surrogacy journey as well as the professional lens of being a fertility therapist. I was so excited when Ariel agreed to come on the show. And honestly, I was just so intrigued and curious to learn about her story, her surrogacy journey. How does one become a surrogate? If a family has gone through lots of infertility or as a same-sex couple, how do they engage a surrogate? Where do they go to find one? I just had all the questions for Ariel and I asked them all candidly with her. And she shares so much about her story in this interview. So whether you've battled with infertility yourself and considered using a surrogate or whether you have people in your life who've struggled or considered surrogacy or possibly even used a surrogate, I encourage you to tune in and hear Ariel's story. It is fascinating and it'll give you deep insight into what friends of yours possibly could be experiencing. So let's hear my conversation with Ariel. Before diving in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Brun Hannah, and it's titled, So Much Value in Every Episode. Erica has so many great guests on every week. Erica brings so much wisdom in every episode. I always feel encouraged and empowered with actionable steps and tools, and I recommend it to literally everyone I know. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave me this iTunes review. Since you guys have been leaving reviews and sharing with friends, the podcast is really starting to gain some traction and grow, and it's thanks to you and your support. The best support for a creator like me is having you share this with a friend, send it to them in a message, email it to them, or pull up iTunes and leave a review. It's so greatly appreciated. Now let's tune in to this week's episode. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on Honest Conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Ariel, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I have been like one of those background followers on your Instagram, you know, like the kind that just kind of like see things, but maybe don't interact so much. I don't know if that sounds creepy <laughs> or not, not, creepy. just there <laughs> observing and like learning from you for so long. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you
0: so much. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to meet you, talk to you. I love everything that you're doing on your platform as well. And so it really is an honor just to be able to sit down and have this
1: conversation. Yeah, I feel like I have so many questions, so many questions about your own journey and surrogacy and infertility and demystifying this experience for people I feel like who maybe haven't gone through it or want to support a friend going through it are also going through it themselves. So please share a little bit about your personal journey and how you got into the work that you're doing.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I guess there's kind of a separation between my professional work And then the work I've done as a surrogate, I guess. So really surrogacy for me started, I suppose, when my daughter was born. I have a seven-year-old daughter, Scarlett. Mm. So she was born in 2015. I had a really great pregnancy, great delivery. I I just really enjoyed the whole process, but she was very much a one and done baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I loved pregnancy. I loved kind of the idea of being pregnant, but knew that I was not having any more of my own. So I really just started looking into surrogacy and I think I really just stumbled across it online, Google searches. I did end up signing up with an agency and was matched with a family, and it all happened very quickly. Uh, I urge people now to do a little bit more research than I did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little bit overwhelming going into it, but yeah, I kind of just really wanted to be able to give somebody the feeling that I had when I had my daughter. You know, yeah, I love being a mom. I love my kid, and I just really wanted someone else to experience that. And it was heartbreaking for me to realize that that wasn't a reality for a lot of people or that the, you know, ability to spontaneously conceive a child is not a reality for, you know, about 15% of people. Mm. So I wanted to be able to kind of give back. And, I you know, I'll be the first to admit that I was very naive going into my first surrogacy. Very naive. I don't think I really understood the depths of the infertility side of it and the intended parent side of surrogacy that is oftentimes a lot more heartbreaking and rooted in trauma and loss and, you know, that out of control feeling. So I mean, as I kind of journeyed through surrogacy, and I've, I've given birth to three little boys <laughs> now, and I'm about to start my next surrogacy in a few months caring for a close friend of mine, you know, I've documented the process through my Instagram account. And, you know, I think just every time I've been able to go through it, I've just gained a much deeper understanding of what this means for people. And Mm. by educating and advocating for this kind of stuff and making it a little bit more, I don't know, mainstream, it just makes it seem more attainable for people who think that surrogacy is only for Kim Kardashian.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, I feel like it's become more a topic of conversation, you know, if you're a Kardashian follower, I am like a self-proclaimed reality TV junkie. (laughs) Like I can't help it. Like the currently Thursdays are Kardashian nights and I like chill and put my feet up. So like hearing like Chloe and, and Kim talk about this so openly, but it almost feels like it's, it's definitely from like this place of privilege and probably a lot from a place of convenience and and another who knows what really goes on in terms of why, but it is a little bit more of a conversation. When I think about surrogacy, I automatically link like all this fertility journey. So like you've got your experience and I hated pregnancy. So I'm (laughs) so blown away by the fact that you had this just like really altruistic, like urge to give in this way to somebody is like amazing. And then I think about the couples who like their journeys and how they got to you. Like you said, it's full of trauma. It's full of probably like lots of losses and miscarriage. What makes people choose surrogacy usually?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, from a parent standpoint of having to use a surrogate, surrogacy typically is kind of that last resort. Most people don't automatically jump to let's have a surrogate, right? Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm.
0: Oftentimes the journey for heterosexual couples, at least, right, to have a surrogate, it started with we're not getting pregnant on our own. And then maybe we're doing treatments on ourselves, where maybe we're doing years of our own treatments, maybe they're all failing, maybe they were able to carry a pregnancy, but then needed a hysterectomy, which is, you know, it's something that does happen in IVF pregnancies, because there's a little bit of higher risk in IVF pregnancies for that. So, you know, there's all of these situations that bring people to surrogacy and, yeah, I think people forget that sometimes there's a lot of heartbreak attached to that. And as wonderful as surrogacy is, it really comes out of the inability to be able to have a child on their own. And, you know, I find myself doing a lot of this type of counseling with people because in my professional life, I'm a social worker, I own my own private practice, and I work virtually with infertility couples and those going through kind of this process. And I find that a lot of my clients going through this do come at this with loss. I mean, how do you feel close to your baby when somebody else is carrying it? Or if your surrogate Mm. miscarries, how do you feel, you know, journeying through that so removed from it, right? Maybe there's Mm. those questions of, is this surrogate going to want to keep my baby, you know? So there's just so many things wrapped up in surrogacy from the intended parent standpoint. And yeah, many of them have gone through losses and their own failed treatments before getting to surrogacy. Mm -hmm. It's of course, a little bit different for same sex couples. I carried for two dads a few years ago. And, you know, obviously a very different experience, because for them, they were excited. It was positive. This was we're going to have a baby, which was very different than my first surrogacy, which was for a mom that was unable to carry. And there was that kind of grief going into this too. I, uh, I'll never forget when my intended mom—we went to our transfer. You know, I went in very naive. I'm so excited, transfer day, like hooray! But for her, she'd done this like seven or eight times before, and it's never worked, mm, you know. And right. I remember our first transfer. I remember her saying to me, "This is the day that I have to realize or accept that I'm never going to be able to carry my own baby." Mm,
1: that day was so. Bittersweet for her, wasn't yeah. it? And yeah, and I was like,
0: "Oh my god!" Well, I feel like a huge jerk now for coming in here so like mm. completely oblivious to all of her experiences. And really, I think that and many other kind of defining moments in my surrogacy journey really helped me gain a lot of empathy and understanding towards what this process really means for people.
1: Hmm. I think it's so powerful that you are a therapist in this space while having lived it. Like there's something that just gives such authority and understanding to really speak on a topic when you've been in the experience with people that I'm sure causes people to seek you out for your niche and specialty, right? Because being able to see it through the lived experience lens, but then also professionally, I imagine, and from the work that I do with moms when going through infertility and loss and then conceiving uh, whether through infertility or I can imagine through surrogacy, the anxiety and the fear that must be present. And if it were me, I would probably want to police everything about my surrogate's life in order to like, so there's just this like loss of control that happens, isn't there? hundred percent. Yeah. Like I, I'm, have you encountered that or what has that looked like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I have that personal experience as the surrogate, right? I mean, I've done seven IVF transfers. My very first surrogacy unfortunately ended in a miscarriage at four months pregnant. Oh, wow. So, you know, I kind of did experience that loss and I've, I've given birth to three little boys. I've had a variety of different types of Experiences and chemical pregnancies and failed transfers, and you know, all of this stuff. So, I do have that very lived experience of going through all those treatments. Mm. But you're right, at the same time, like, and, you know, I have six years of post secondary under my belt and two degrees. And so much of my research for the last number of years has been around infertility and assisted reproduction and you know, advocating for our laws to be more inclusive because here in Canada, our laws are not you know, as updated as they should be. And I don't think they're reflective of our like current climate of infertility and the way that we are continuing to police what women can and cannot do in a mm, surgery, mm-hmm, right? That ties mm-hmm. into lots of things happening in the world. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've really encountered it from so many different angles. And I do think that is one of the reasons that I've resonated with so many people because I will, as you know, right? So much therapy is that good fit. And I think when people see me, they can decide like, yeah, that person's going to be a good fit or maybe they won't, right? But I, I've had such good experiences. And, you know, from a professional standpoint, I've had a lot of success in my counseling and I've been really proud of the work that I'm able to do. And I think it is because of that very interpersonal connection that I'm able to have and that therapeutic relationship that I understand what this feels like and you don't have to go through it alone anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like as we're chatting, there's probably two different types of people listening or maybe three. How about let's say three. There's probably the person who might be having their own infertility struggles and they're on this like, you know, trying to conceive journey. Then there might be some who have questioned whether they want to be a surrogate for somebody else. And then there might just be those who are here to be educated and and learn and understand more. So I feel like we can kind of cater this conversation in two directions. Like my curiosity leads me to how does one know they want to become a surrogate? Like how (laughs) like it's such a big decision because I think about you have your own daughter at that time and how pregnancy I've had three children and I've been pregnant while having other children to parent. And so like it's a real toll. It's a real big choice to make.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, surrogacy, I don't think is anything to take lightly, right? I think for anyone listening, there is a massive need for surrogates, especially in Canada. There's Mm. about one surrogate for every 10 set of intended parents. Mm.
1: So there
0: is a huge need for surrogates, but it's definitely not something to be taken lightly, right? I mean, not only do you need to be able to, you know, have a good pregnancy history and you know, you can't be on certain medications when you are a surrogate or, you know, your health history or certain things that might be okay, if they were your own children might not be allowed in a surrogate pregnancy, because obviously, the idea is to reduce risks and things like that, right. So, Hmm. I mean, I think there is a lot of people that would be able to be surrogates from a medical standpoint, but there's a smaller group that might be From that more personal side, not everybody could be a surrogate or wants to be a surrogate. And I think that's okay, Mm. right? I mean, that's the beautiful thing about having the choice about what we can do Mm. is that if it feels good to you, like that it's something that you could do or want to explore, I definitely think it's worth looking into, right? And seeing if that would be a good match. You know, I think a lot of the requirements that come with surrogacy, too, I mean, it's very strongly recommended that you're done with your own family. Okay. And that's because there are additional risks with IVF. So there's an additional risk with bleeding or placenta abnormalities or hemorrhaging after delivery. Now, these are small increases, like we're talking like, you know, one, 2% type thing but still important to be informed of those risks, right? And with those risks come the possibility, small possibility, that you may not be able to carry another child afterwards. So Mm. part of that kind of informed consent and something that I advocate so much for in this community is that people are really fully aware of all the risks and can make an informed decision with all of the information, you know? So Mm -hmm. being done with their own family is really important, I think, you know, making sure that you have a supportive partner, that's very, very important and a requirement surrogates will not pass their psychological evaluations if their partners are not on board, because it's a big commitment. You know, I have a wonderful partner who is so supportive. And, you know, he's had to pick up a lot of slack during pregnancies, right? And I had C-sections. So that means postpartum is a lot more work for him too. And you know making sure that your partner is going to be okay getting up and making all the kids lunches and getting everybody on the bus because you're throwing up or sick or on bed rest
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: it's all of these things to think about too i'm making surrogacy sound very scary here i think
1: <laughs> no but it makes so much sense like that was going to be my next question is like this has really got to be a family decision mm-hmm. right because i understand having to care for a child or having like, it's not before having my children when I was pregnant for the first time, albeit still very hard, you know, could nap or could rest and didn't have a little human that I had to take care of. So now when we're talking to surrogacy, especially after you've, you know, you're done with your family, you've come to that place, having a partner who is on board and will ebb and flow in the needs of the house and shift priorities around with you would be essential to the process, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's a time commitment too, right? I mean, a lot of times when you're going for treatments, you might be going to the clinic every other day for ultrasounds and blood work gearing up, you have to be able to give yourself multiple injections a day. Sometimes you are Mm. pumping yourself full of hormone medication, right? I mean, there are other things that you know, come into play here and make somebody a good candidate for surrogacy, that they're comfortable with all of these things and can see themselves doing that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, surrogacy is such a wonderful thing to do. And I personally have had such great experiences. And I will tell you, there is just nothing better in this world than, you know, being able to give birth to a baby and watch somebody become a mom right in front of your Mm. eyes. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember the first live birth surrogate baby I had, his parents were in the room. And you know, they cut the cord. And we have this beautiful video of her holding him for the first time. And you just see her face just like (laughs) break down and melt. And I'm like, Oh, my God, this is why people ask Mm -hmm. me all the time, why did you become a surrogate? That's why. Because everybody deserves to feel that. Everybody deserves to have that moment if they choose to. And infertility should not stop that. And it's because of people like me and other surrogates that this becomes a reality for other women. And, you know, I think as we can kind of support each other in that way. It's a great way to build that sense of community too and for that child one day to be like look at all of these people that helped bring you
1: here. I can imagine how emotionally charged those moments must be like just some of the most like precious and probably overwhelming and just you know full of so so many emotions. If I remember correctly you did some of your own fertility treatments for egg donation? Is, is that, am I remembering correctly? Is that a thing that happened? Yeah. So
0: I've, <laughs> yeah, I've done surrogacy a number of times, but I've also been an egg donor. So I've never actually carried a baby that I was genetically related to as a surrogate. So I only okay. did gestational surrogacy, which means that the embryos are created with the mom and the dad's sperm, or in the case of the two dads, you know, they used a donor and then their own genetic material. So I've never carried a baby that was genetically linked to me. But yes, I have been an egg donor five times. Wow. Uh, And there is a couple, I think there's four little babies that have been born because of my eggs. I do still get to stay in contact. Yeah, one little girl, she's four months old now. And so her mom and I talk pretty often. She always sends me pictures and videos. Our kids have played together, their other daughter and my daughter have played together. Like, so I mean, there's a lot of stigma around this type of stuff and the way families grow. But I think there is a way to do it that, you know, feels good for everybody and allows these type of, you know, situations to happen ethically and, you know, in ways that make everybody feel good, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed that whole process and been able to kind of give back in that way.
1: yeah. It really highlights to me that there is no one way to become a family anymore. And I was I was working on a project and researching this a little bit about, you know, how we got to, like, this nuclear family, uh, you know, born vaginally, blah, 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 being, like, the norm and the standard, and then saw how, like, as science evolved and, like, as the first, like... IUI happened and then the first IVF happened successfully and the progresses in science that have happened in the fertility space over the past 30, 50 years, you know, is completely mind blowing and really something special when we think about how if we're struggling with infertility, like so many, like the families are that come to you who feel so strongly that they want to be parents. Or like the two dad family or people who otherwise, you know, maybe wouldn't have had an option to have their own biological children or would have been adopting or things like that to now be able to have these options. And I do think you said like it is kind of like stigmatized or taboo. Like I feel like this is not openly talked about. And that's what drew me to you so much. I was like, wow, like it's a really it's something to be proud of. One and two, like it's such an open conversation on your platform and on your page because this is behind closed doors, what families are navigating and dealing with, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's maybe one of the big issues, right, is that people are only just starting to be more open about it, right? I mean, I think it's wonderful that a lot of celebrities are now coming forward about using surrogates. And, you know, people see that, but regular people use surrogates too, you know, people with regular jobs your neighbors, the kids in your kid's classroom, right? You're Mm -hmm. like, everybody in your life probably knows somebody who has either done IVF or done some sort of assisted reproduction or used an egg or sperm donor or a surrogate. And it's not really as uncommon as people think. We just don't talk about it very much. And I really hope that with the documentation that I do and you know, being able to kind of show what surrogacy really is like goes a long way to reduce the stigma around what people think surrogacy is about, right? The misconceptions that people have about
1: surrogacy are... Oh, what are they? I'd love to know. What have been some (laughs) things that you've heard? Like what are the myths or misconceptions?
0: Well, like, I mean,
1: there's some that are so ridiculous
0: that you're like, there's no way you're being serious, right? Like some people genuinely think that you actually just have sex with the dad and get pregnant and then carry their baby and give it to them. And that is 100% not what happens. It's going to be a hard no from me. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Not surrogacy. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, there's kind of that type of stuff. I think maybe there's a lot of misconceptions that the surrogate is giving up her own baby Mm. or selling her baby. That is not the case, right? I mean, it's not my baby. It's their Mm. baby. Their baby in their clinic, their embryos. I'm just growing them until I can give it back. And
1: from your headspace, because I think about, oh my gosh, like the grief of handing this baby over, but like, you've always known that it's not your baby. Like, it's not something that, like, I'm sure there's like a closeness that you must feel after that time. But from the get-go, your mindset is like, this is somebody else's baby, right?
0: Yeah. And really, I think most of the bond is with the parents and that relationship that builds. Like, you know, I'm still in contact and close with the two families that I've carried for. And my next surrogacy is actually for a good friend of mine. So we're going to be documenting together. She's like, you are going to be in this kid's life forever. Like we really have that type of open relationship, which research shows us is actually really good for these children that are born in that way to know their story and their history right from birth. Right. Which is, I think the right way to do that. But yeah, I mean, I think there's this idea that also surrogacy is very like closed doors. Like you don't meet the parents or you don't get to even meet them or they just come to the hospital and pick up their baby and leave. And that's just not really how it works. Mm. And I think by showing what surrogacy really is, and you know, the different dynamics of it goes a long way to make people more comfortable with the idea more accepting to the idea, maybe understanding for themselves what their own options are, or saying, Oh, my gosh, I've had a couple kids, I would love to be able to do that for somebody else, and make somebody else a parent.
1: Mm -hmm. It sounds like these misconceptions come a lot from like, just lack of knowledge and education on the process and how it truly works. And you had referenced, and I've seen as I followed your journey a bit, like the injections and the hormones. So it sounds like the journey to being a surrogate is one that includes some sort of IVF treatments or like some hormones leading up to transfer and things as well. Yeah. So surrogates get pregnant via IVF, which is
0: in vitro fertilization. So what that means is that um, the parents have already created their embryos. So they take out the woman's eggs, they take the sperm, they fertilize them in Petri dishes. (laughs) I have actually the Petri dish of one of my previous surrogate babies that he was in. I have a picture on my Instagram of me holding his little Petri dish. So that's a funny little aside. But yeah, yeah, so they are fertilized, those embryos are then grown to five days old. And then they are frozen. In some cases, they can do fresh transfers, but in a lot of cases, they're frozen. For um, people that want to do genetic testing, so to test for things like trisomies, or if there is genetic abnormalities in the family history, they can actually test for these once those embryos are frozen, they actually have the capability of telling if The biological sex is male or female. In Canada, though, you are not allowed to choose Mm -hmm. the biological sex, but in the States you are. So that's the time when that genetic testing comes back. And then the surrogate would be prepping for her embryo transfer, which involves uh, usually estrogen and progesterone are the two main ones. But there's a whole bunch of other medications that sometimes get put in sometimes blood thinners, sometimes steroids, sometimes, you know, antibiotics, whole bunch of different things. And basically kind of, you know, on the first day of your period, leading up to a transfer cycle, you start estrogen, and then you go for a lining check about 10 days later to check your uterine lining, because estrogen is the hormone that thickens up your uterine lining, which is what an embryo attaches to to grow. So this is all the same process that is normally happening, except you would be, you know, ovulating, but these medications stop you from doing that so that when they put the embryo in, your body's ready to accept it. Mm. So, you know, you would take estrogen, you would go for lining checks, you would start progesterone. This is usually the one that's in the big shot that goes in your butt that everyone's very scared of. It's not as bad as it looks though, I promise. Mm. But progesterone is a hormone that supports a pregnancy. You know, that's what the placenta normally does but placentas don't really take over until about 13 weeks so that's why surrogates stay on these progesterone injections until just after the first trimester usually then about 5 days later they go into their embryo transfer and they insert the embryo i actually have videos on my instagram showing my embryo transfer it's wow. guided by ultrasound and you can actually see that little embryo coming out of the catheter and being placed right into the top of my uterus it looks like a little shooting star yeah and that's how it is and then usually about five to six days later is when you would start seeing positives on a home test if it has worked it's actually really interesting because the way that they time everything out because you know how they always date everything to your last period yeah when you go in for your embryo transfer you are actually two weeks and five days pregnant technically the day of your embryo transfer because you're two weeks and then the embryo is five days old already. Mm. So by the time you start getting positives, typically people are around that four week mark. And then about two weeks after that, they go for those six, seven week ultrasounds.
1: Wow, It just amazes me at science. It amazes me at like, you know how we are like the science is developing and we're supporting families in this way it's just coming such a long way. It's so fascinating to me. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments. It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash momwell. ZocDoc slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. like families and how they go about this. Cause like I'm envisioning you having to go to all these fertility treatments, which as I know as a therapist who works in this space and I've got friends who've been through fertility treatments, like the appointments and the last day of your cycle, you gotta be on call and flexible and available. So, From that perspective, this might be a weird or naive question, but I would imagine there's a cost of your time for that. Like, you are taking away time from, like, your practice or your life. Is there, like, what is the arrangement? How do families acquire a surrogate, and are they paid? Like, I'm not sure how that works.
0: Yeah, so – This is a great question and I'm happy you asked it because it's one of the things that I'm really lobbying for in our law changes because currently in Canada, surrogates are not allowed to be compensated. We can only be.
1: Oh my gosh. I I like, I just think about the appointments alone before the pregnancy even happens, like of your time. So yeah. we can be
0: reimbursed our expenses up to a cap for, uh, typically that's around 25000 for the entire pregnancy, okay? Mm. Now beforehand there is, you can kind of submit your kilometers type thing, you know, there is kind of those reimbursable expenses. But I think one of the biggest issues with, you know, the Assisted Human Reproduction Act, which is what governs all of this in Canada, is that the law was originally designed, like you know, 40 years ago, so that it wouldn't be exploitive of women, because it was assumed that the only people who would want to be a surrogate are people who are poor, uneducated, low socioeconomic status, women of color, marginalized populations. And it wasn't even thought that like, people would just want to do this, you know, Mm. so they put in these rules that well, you can't pay a surrogate, otherwise, they'll just do it for the money. I see. But the problem with that, I think is that it's kind of created this environment where now all these kind of white men in parliament are deciding what is and isn't a reimbursable pregnancy expense. And is gravel a pregnancy expense or is it just part of life? Or if I'm really tired from the hormones and need to take a day off, is that actually a pregnancy expense? And who's deciding that? And the issue is that it's not really overseen. And there isn't a lot of clarity in that. So for example, the repercussions for paying a surrogate is like 10 years in jail and like $500,000. Oh However, uh huh, the Assisted Human Reproduction Act does not specify what payment is. So technically, under our current laws, if an intended parent got their surrogate a Christmas present, theoretically, under the law, they could be charged with paying their surrogate. And it's very, it's just very vague. It's not very clear. I personally believe that surrogates should be compensated. And I know not everybody agrees with that stance. And I will be perfectly honest here. I think that a lot of American surrogates see Canadians and don't like the way it's done here because you know, it's altruistic. But I mean, there is money involved, we're being reimbursed expenses, right. But I think the idea is that oh, like Canadian surrogates are so much better than American surrogates, because they do it for free. And I want to say very, very clearly that I think regardless, if you are being fairly compensated for your time and effort, or you are doing it altruistically, I do not think that matters. I think you are still doing a great thing. I that women should be compensated for their time. You know, like I look at myself, I'm a professional, I have a job, I have a family, I run a whole business and brand. And I believe that my time is valuable. Mm -hmm. I think that you know, what I go through in a pregnancy and everything that I've had to do is worth something. I do think that is worth a monetary value. And it's not about paying for a baby. It's about compensating a woman for the time and effort she you know, she put into this that she deserves. And that's Mm. the way it's done in the States, you know, surrogates in the States are paid compensated, generally, like between 30 and 40,000. That's another thing people think surrogates make hundreds of 1000s of dollars, they do not. Even Mm. surrogates that can be paid are only paid, yeah, 35 to 40 is probably average right now. Whereas in Canada, we can be reimbursed about 25 to 30. So it's really very similar. The only difference is that I have to have a receipt for every single penny of expenses that I have. I have Mm. to keep those receipts. If I was ever audited, I have to have proof of every single pregnancy expense, track every single kilometer. I got to go get blood work. How many kilometers was it from my front door to that clinic? Like, it's very tedious. I think it puts a lot of this on the surrogate. And that's why I think so many people feel like, you know, Canadian surrogacy is, you know, so much so much different, because it is, I really do think that by compensating women, we are fairly giving them what they deserve. It's not astronomical, it is reasonable, it is fair. I really do think that's the way we should be moving into that direction. And all that would mean is that our laws change to say that a surrogate, instead of being reimbursed 25 to 30,000, can be paid 25 to 30,000. And then she gets to decide what is and isn't a pregnancy expense for her. She gets to have the autonomy on what she wants to spend that on. And it's not up to the government or, you know, anybody else to decide what she does with that. And I personally think that is far less exploitive.
1: Mm -hmm. It makes me like draw the connections between how like care work isn't valued. And is not paid work and isn't you know compensated for moms or like you know it's just undervalued across the board and and expected that moms will do it yet undervalued yeah and then we think about like growing a human and surrogacy and pregnancy as like sort of in that same camp right like it's just something that as a woman you should do and it, it doesn't have like carry a value to it when you are taking time out of your professional life for this other family. Like I can see how like that would deter me if I was to like really sit down and consider surrogacy, for example, it would ha- have to come at a cost of my time because of all of the appointments. Your fertility specialists are probably downtown Toronto and all they the are. commuting and things, <laughs> right? Like that's commuting hours. It's so many hours that go into investing into somebody else with really, like you said altruistic intentions but still your time is valuable and in being invested so yeah. that blows my mind and i i'm new to navigating the system and understanding it so that's really yeah like and and i would hope like with platforms like yours and people who are advocating and as this is being talked about more that laws will evolve we're always hoping and not step backwards as they just recently have but <laughs> you know we would hope that we would evolve to expand and grow in this area because science is only going to improve from here and offer more, you know, yeah. choices and things to families. So,
0: yeah, it's just such an interesting kind of world and I'm so passionate about all of this, you know, and I care so much about it because I think that this is such a, you know, a viable way that people can grow their families and it should be accessible, right? Insurance companies should be paying for fertility treatments and some of them are starting to, thankfully, right? But why is infertility the only medical condition that is not seen as a medical condition? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's just so much we can do here. And honestly, I firmly believe that if men were the one that could carry babies, they would have been getting paid a long time ago for this. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just came off of a conversation about like equal partnerships and care work and all the things. So I can see it through that lens completely. So Like if I'm going through infertility, like I put myself in the place of some of the moms that I've worked with, you know, and I've had, you know, maybe I got five healthy embryos and I'm down to like one or two left. And I've been told that it's very unlikely that I'm going to get more healthy embryos and I'm in a place of like really having to make some big decisions, right? How does one start down the path of engaging a surrogate or learning more about this path for them? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of information
0: and it can be very overwhelming when you first find out you're going to need to find a surrogate and people immediately go, oh my God, this is going to cost me half a million dollars and I'm never going to find somebody that's going to want to carry a baby for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think as when people get that kind of shock of you are going to need a surrogate, there's kind of a few different routes that people can go. Typically, by this point, most people already have their clinic, they already have their embryos, they already kind of have done all of that. That's a big part of the cost of surrogacy is the treatments themselves. Many people hear that, you know, surrogacy costs $100,000, which it probably does. But the majority of that does not go to the surrogate. It goes Mm. to the doctors, the lawyers, the agencies, the counselors. The only person not getting paid in this is the surrogate. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well and like probably all the failed attempts of their own ivf leading up to the surrogacy at like yep. 10 to 15 grand a yep. pop or whatever definitely they might go through their own like three or four rounds of that first before even yeah considering surrogacy right yeah yeah
0: so i mean when you find out you need a surrogate there's lots of ways to get that research of what to do so lots of great facebook groups kind of giving general information. They're very in your face a little bit and abrupt, which I actually personally appreciate. I think I like when people are as protective of surrogacy as I am. And I like that people are protective of this community and wanting to keep people safe and, you know, practicing things ethically, right. So I think joining Facebook groups, you know, being able to kind of get some peer support in that way, You know, some good Googling does a whole lot. I think being able to follow other people that have done surrogacy and get information. I know one service that I offer is intended parent consults, where parents can book a session to kind of understand all of their options. Now, I do not match with surrogates. I don't run an agency. I don't coordinate any of that. But I can help people understand based on exactly where they live. Here's the laws in your state or province. Here's fertility clinics in your area. Here's different agencies that you can use. Here's how you would match independently because not everybody goes through an agency. I matched independently for my surrogacy now. And so lots of people will match independently with a surrogate. Some will go with an agency. You know, you also need two separate lawyers to draw up the surrogacy contract. It's very important to have contracts. It's very important that you have two separate lawyers, one for the surrogate and one for the parent, so that everybody has someone with their best interest. Being able to kind of immerse yourself in that surrogacy world really helps kind of familiarize a little bit with it. And then once people decide, okay, I'm ready to match, then it's deciding, okay, well, do I want to do an independent match or do I want to? try to find a surrogate on my own and match independently. And, you know, there's pros and cons of each of those, of course.
1: I have so many questions about that piece. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I feel like, I don't know, the only thing that my mind can parallel this to, I had a friend who, like, her son needed, like, a liver transplant. And so they were looking for donors. And, of course, they canvassed the family. And then they also canvassed, like, you know, throughout the system. One friend, the sister was a match. And so she did a liver transplant for him and whatever. So like that's the only comparison I can draw in my mind. But how does this like finding somebody sort of organically versus via agency? How does that play out?
0: Yeah. So I mean – There's such pros and cons with both. I mean, an agency, you're basically signing up with an agency. Now they come at a cost. Some agencies are 10 to 15,000. Some are 30 to 40,000 to be part of this agency. And they will kind of have surrogates already. Again, though, even matching with an agency, the waitlist can be 12 to 18 months to find a surrogate and be matched with a surrogate because not only are you trying to find someone that you connect with, but also that kind of wants a similar journey that you do. So for example, I mean, if you want a really close relationship with your surrogate, you want to live close, you want them to be like an aunt to your future children, they're not going to match you with a surrogate that is okay with pictures on their birthday every year. Right, you know, so it's, As much as it is about that personal relationship, it's also really important for people to find a good surrogacy match. And you could really like someone as a person and they might not be a great surrogacy match. So agencies can be really good in that regard because they're only going to show you profiles of people that kind of match your criteria, right? So usually with agencies, they all run a little bit differently, but usually they kind of do that matching or there's a database sometimes Or they'll reach out to the surrogate and be like, here's a couple intended parents that we think you would match with, let us know what you think. They'll make bios, surrogates all have bios and stuff. So it's kind of like they kind of just facilitate that and provide some, you know, guidance along the way, recommendations, they might work with their own fertility clinics or lawyers or people that they kind of reach out to. So it's a little bit of a community. Great for surrogates too, I think there's a big sense of community for the surrogates. So, I mean, that definitely is an option for some. Some people would rather match independently. And to be clear, independently does not mean going against any of the rules it doesn't mean that you're doing anything like illegal or that you're you know not using a clinic and stuff you're still doing all of that stuff you're just finding your own surrogate hmm. so there are facebook matching groups to do this you know some people find friends or family that are willing to carry you know i know some intended parents that were very public on instagram and they matched through that way and kind of sharing their story and we're looking for a surrogate and So there's that. There's also, um, you know, a brand new company that just opening called Noto Health. Mm. And uh, they're actually an independent service where intended parents can basically pay to be part of this database. Surrogates can sign up. And it's basically that, you know, you pass screening to be able to sign up you have to be able to go for medical screening, they have their own team of doctors that do all of that screening before surrogates and intended parents sign up. But then you're able to communicate and match with people directly once you've already been approved. Mm. So it's a way to kind of facilitate that independent match, but in a safe environment where you're not going to get scammed, or you know, you know, that this person's going to be you know, adequate. Because the other thing about independent matches is, as an intended parent, you have to be so educated on the rules for your clinic, the restrictions that they have, some clinics will not let a surrogate over a certain age, or a certain BMI, or, you know, can't have so many previous births or previous C sections, like there's different requirements for each clinic and each country, right? There's differences between Canada and the States as well. So, I mean, you have to do a lot more legwork as an independent intended parent, Mm. but that might be worth it, right? If you're that type of personality that can really stay on top of that and it might save you $40,000 in agency fees. So, I mean, there's lots of different options starting ways to match safely, which is part of the reason that I really like that company because a lot of intended parents have gotten scammed or Mm. met someone on Facebook that was not who they said they were. And, you know, I think part of reducing that stigma is giving those avenues and those resources for people to match safely and have that autonomy to still do an independent match, but then know that they're going to be taken care of as well, right? And that this is reputable, people are screened, all that kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never thought about like the fraudulent piece. But when we get into anything that is sort of stigmatized or not talked about, or the laws around it are still, I don't know, debatable then we do get some of this where it's not out in the open it's not maybe regulated in the ways that it could and and should be that it draws maybe like some fraudulent behavior and things mm-hmm. like that but yeah i don't know that i've ever been this quiet in an interview <laughs> in all honesty i'm like this is very new for me but i'm literally like i feel like you're giving me a glimpse inside of a world that like i don't have any experience in and i hope that those who are listening really feel the same way because like, as you said, there are a lot of maybe preconceived ideas or a lot of maybe stereotypes or just lack of understanding about what this process Mm -hmm. looks like. And I can think of mothers in my own life who I know have gone through surrogacy, you know, journeys and the appreciation that I have for maybe what even like took them to that place. And like, I'm known for doing invisible load series and, and really putting out there all of the invisible tasks and cognitive labor that go with pieces of motherhood. And then you're talking about infertility as its own piece, but then surrogacy as this other invisible load that, you know, the research and the matching and the nervousness and and just navigating whether that person is going to be a good fit. And can we be in relationship with each other? Can we coexist and get along? And like all these pieces is a whole other cognitive and invisible load that mothers and parents are wearing around as this like heavy cloak that nobody knows about, you know? So I feel so appreciative that you came today and shared about your journey and how mothers and parents like on this journey find you. And yeah, it just feels really mind opening to have a glimpse into this world. So I really appreciate you being here and taking this time.
0: Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's exactly the reason I started my Instagram account, which, which really was an accident. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just took off like crazy. And I was like, well, if I have this platform, I might as well use it. And you know, I very candidly and openly document my surrogacy story from start to finish my egg donation, my previous egg donation, I documented as well. And, you know, I've done videos on how to do the different needles or how an embryo transfer works or, you know, how it feels to go through all of that. I shared very candidly about my last birth story, which was not a birth type that we wanted to have. And it was very kind Mm. of, you know, different. And I think being able to candidly share what this is like and be very open and answer questions and just kind of be somebody in the community that people can watch and learn and lurk a little bit, right? I mean, so many people will follow for a while and be like, oh my gosh, we've been following you for a year. And then we just signed up with an agency and it made us feel so much better because we knew that there were people like you who were surrogates.
1: And I think that this really ties into like shame and identity, right? Like if I, as a mom, feel like I can't conceive and then I feel like, you know, you said that bittersweet moment where the mom was like, it's a realization that I will never carry my own baby. Like there's so much woven into our identity as women, as mothers about how we think, you know, motherhood should look and what this journey mm-hmm. should look like that. I feel like whenever there's shame in those areas, it, we go underground with it. But you're taking this out in a very open conversation that is like welcoming and approachable and there is no you're not failing. This isn't because you know, you've done something wrong. This isn't because you are weren't supposed to be a parent. Mm-hmm. This isn't because yes. all of the, the myths and things that we internalize if we're going through infertility, right? So yeah. where can people find you online? Where can they connect with you? Maybe if they're looking for some of that coaching that you were discussing.
0: All of my socials are CarriedWithLove, Carried.with.love. My website is CarriedWithLove.com and that's where people can reach out to me for virtual counseling or these intended parent consults another kind of avenue that I'm branching into now is I do a lot of the psychosocial assessments for fertility clinics. So for intended parents that are, you know, going to be using donor eggs or donor sperm, right, genetic counseling about that, and how they're going to approach that situation with their children, and, you know, kind of their preparedness for that journey. And so I do some of that with clinics as well. So yeah, I mean, Carried With Love is kind of my brand. So it's kind of if you search it, you will find it.
1: Yeah, and we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. That is also a blog post that will capture all of this information. And I'd love to hear from you, the community, like if there are parts of this that resonated with you or parts that you would like to know more about. I've brought other guests back because of questions that you've submitted to me. So if this is something that really piques your interest send your questions through, because I would love to do more like awareness, psychoeducation around what this process really looks like for people. So thank you again, Ariel, for being here and people connect with you through the show notes. So thank you so much. Thank you. I don't think I have ever been so quiet in an interview. I was just taking it all in I am fascinated with Ariel's story. I think that the work that she does is so important. And now I have a new depth of insight into what it's like to find a surrogate, the journey of surrogacy and what it can look like. And I really encourage you that if you found Ariel's story really interesting, she shares so many insights on her Instagram page that you can go follow her carried with love on Instagram. If you find that you are going through an infertility journey or are struggling to conceive, our therapists do work with many women who are going through the anxiety, the grief, and the various complicated feelings that come up when they're going through this journey. So if you find that you're becoming really preoccupied and that all you can think about is infertility and trying to conceive and tracking dates and all of the things that come with being on that journey... You can reach out to one of our therapists, happyasamother.co slash wellness to book in a free 15 minute consult and see whether they are a fit for you to support you on this journey. I'll see you right back here next week. Same time, same place where I am being joined by one of my favorite TikTokers, Destiny Ann chances are, if you are on the mom side of TikTok, you've probably come across one of Destiny Ann's videos. She's got 1.5 million followers on TikTok, and she is joining us to talk all things gentle and empowered parenting. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.